Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would come and, and move only in the way that he can, that he would apply the truth of your word to our hearts, that our minds might be transformed, that the words that we speak may change, that the actions that we take may be different because we have come into contact with your word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for keeping it for us all these years that we might hear it together, that it might uh, be medicine for our souls. Lord, we ask that you would help us to receive it and not just be hearers of your word, but actually be doers of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Galatians 5.1, if you'll remember, as we've been walking through the book of Galatians, uh, last week Paul was saying that we are not of the slave woman, but of the free woman. He said that, um, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. That brings us to Galatians 5.1 this morning and uh, hear the word of the Lord. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Blessed be the reading of God's word. This morning, I'd like to just break down this verse kind of in a thorough way. And so you may be like, wow, we're going to talk for however long we're going to talk on one verse. Yes, we will. By the Lord's gracious provision. But... Galatians 5.1, it's been, it's, it's been uh, I was talking with my wife a little bit last night over dinner. I was having trouble coming up with a, a good illustration or a good application for one of the points. And I was talking to her about it. She goes, wow, that's kind of convicting. I was like, yeah, I had to work on it for like three weeks now. Um, so I hope that you will not only be convicted this morning when you come into contact with God's Word, but it will be uplifted. That you, you not only see the, the law as we've been talking about, but you'll also see the grace. I pray that as we look at this passage together, that, that the beauty of Christ will shine through. And what he's done for you and what he's done for me will be so apparent and will be so real that it will change who you are today. For freedom, Christ has set us free. We're going to look at that part of the verse first. We'll call it part A. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So the first point I just want to make is that Christ has given us freedom. That may be kind of obvious if you've been a believer for a while. You may be like, oh yeah, I know that. I've, I'm pretty familiar with that. Um, but I want to challenge you to think about those words, freedom and free this morning. What has, what has Christ set us free from? 
Well, he set us free from the responsibility of fulfilling the law. Christ has set us free. He set us free from the responsibility of fulfilling the law. God's perfect, holy, and righteous law. And ultimately, he's given us freedom from the penalty of sin and the punishment of sin. Christ has given us freedom from the penalty of sin and the punishment of sin. You see, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free because of his love for us. Maybe there's some questions that you think about when you hear those words. When I, as I thought about this this week and I was listening to freedom and free, I was thinking, what kind of freedom? Well, how do we define this freedom that Christ has given us? And, and what does free mean anyway? What have we been set free from? If you're like me, we all like freedom and we all like free stuff, right? If you're a youth pastor, anytime you go to a conference, you're like, I want the freedom to go wherever I want, do whatever I want, and I want a lot of free stuff. That's like the definition of youth pastor, right, at a conference. Where's the free t-shirt? Where's the free meal? But if that's what we are thinking about this morning, we'd be wrong because it doesn't fit our, the context of what we're looking at. It doesn't, doesn't have the right connotation. And there's another question that kind of comes into mind for me is, and this is a tough question, and this is one I'd like for everybody just to, just to sit in for a moment. Are we living our lives as Christians as if Christ has given us this freedom that we're going to define, and as if we have been set free? That's the question that's been sticking with me for the last couple weeks is, is as a Christian, am I living my life in a way that the people around me say, that guy has some freedom. He doesn't, he doesn't look like he's chained down or weighed down by anything. And am I living my life in such a way that I, I look like I've been set free? That's a hard question. It's a moment-to-moment question. It's a breath-to-breath question. So, it got me thinking, what does it look like to be set free? We have a puppy dog, some of you may have seen on some of our social media posts. He's the third dog in our family. Richard's now succumbed to having three dogs, too. So you can pray for your pastors. But we have this black lab. He was little. He was this big when we brought him home. And he's now like this big and will take your hip out. But he lives, he sleeps in the crate because he's still young. He's still under two. And he is full of energy. Like his tail is a weapon. It's like whoopsh, whoopsh, whoopsh. And we found out that Sammy uh, has no left earlobe and he has no hips. So he just has hip bones. And so when he walks, he looks like a snake. He just like this, you know. Well, every day he goes into his crate. Like Sammy in, he goes into his crate. We lock it. He plops down in his crate and he goes to bed. In the morning, if we sleep past 530 
which is rare at our house. So just so you know. But if we if it's a Saturday and we sleep in until like seven, um, you start hearing this, or you start hearing the tail wagging in the crate. You start, and he's ready to be set free, right? Sammy's ready to be. As soon as you open that crate, most days if he hasn't had a long day or whatever, he's like to the front door and he just sits and he stares at the doorknob. And he's, be, he's ready to be set free. And so you open that door, and whew, he's out, and he's chasing all the lizards. He's running, he's running, he's running, he's running. He's doing what he's been trained to do, right? Last night was, uh, this past week was homecoming for my kids. They go to high school, to various high school, and they had the homecoming dance. So my wife and I were chaperoning. She she's, works at various high schools, so... We were at the dance and we were standing there and I'd been, been trying to think of an, an example of being set free, right? And so finally she said our duty was to be at the dance and to kind of walk around and make sure everything was, you know, people were dancing, I guess. And so I'm, I, feel, I, was, I felt like I was chained to this homecoming dance. And finally she looked at me and she goes, are you ready to go? And I'm like... Yes. And it was only like 10 o'clock. And so we walked out the doors and she goes, here's your example. Would you like to go back to that? And I'm like, no. I've been set free. But is that really true freedom? Is that the freedom that, that Paul is writing about? You know, well, that's what we think freedom is, right? We think freedom is, is the ability just to run and do whatever it is we want to do. But being set free is knowing that your works and your desires won't give you true freedom. Listen to this. For freedom, Christ has set us free Christ has set you free from yourself. Christ has set you free from the reality that that your works and your desires and the things that your heart longs for will not satisfy you. He's given you something more than what you want. That's kind of an astonishing thought, isn't it? There's something greater than what I want. Freedom from what? We've been, in, we've been given freedom from living a life under the law. We've, given, we've been given freedom from living under um, all that the law entails. What does that look like? What does freedom from living a life under the law look like? If you read down in Galatians and you look down at verse 13, Paul goes on to... Um, talk about this. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbors yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. You see, we're in a war. Every day when you open your eyes, every day when your mind starts to work, the flesh 
and the spirit are at war. Paul saying, when you live by the spirit, you've been set free. You see, the, the fruit of the spirit will continue to bear. When we will continue to bear fruit when we live our life based on the spirit. When we live by the flesh, we'll be consumed by our fleshly desires. Paul goes on to say, but I walk by the spirit and, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Oh, what freedom. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Sounds like a fun list. I warn you. As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Paul has spent this whole letter encouraging, trying to convince, trying to appeal to, trying to seriously ask the people that are in the church at Galatia, why in the world would you want to go back into the dance? Why would you want to go back into the crate? Why would you want to go back into being enslaved when you've been set free? Why are they holding on to the festivals and, and observing days and, and requiring circumcision and other performance-based laws when they could be set free from the obligation to laws that will never satisfy, that will only lead them to devouring one another? He's exhorting them and encouraging them to live a life by the Spirit. Paul here in the first part of this verse is declaring one of the most amazing truths in the whole kingdom of God. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Christ has set us free from the curse of being lawbreakers. By perfectly fulfilling the law of God for us. Jesus Christ has taken the curse of sin and given humanity a cure. He took the curse of sin and gave us the cure. By taking the curse on himself, Jesus, the promised Messiah, this is why we are children of the free woman. This is why we are children of the promise. This is why faith is given to us, not earned by us, because it's the work of Christ that sets us free. 
Jesus' perfect record, his willingness to die a death that he didn't deserve to die for us. He paid the penalty for us, but not only that, he broke the power of sin. I think we forget this on a day-to-day basis. That right now, the penalty and the power of sin have been broken by Jesus. There's been defeat in this war. Jesus has given us victory. He's given us freedom. We've been set free by Jesus Christ. We've been set free by the, from the penalty of sin. Death is no longer a penalty for those who are in Christ. Death is not to be feared. Death is not to be um, taken seriously because it has no consequence for the believer. Because Jesus has paid the penalty. He died for you and he died for me. Yes, sin surely still is infectious. It is still troublesome here on earth. But it has lost its ultimate power over you and me right now. Although we struggle with sin, we have the one who's more powerful than sin. So when we yield to Christ's power in our life, when we live by the Spirit, when we, when we run to the Spirit and we say, please help me in this battle, please help me in this situation, we can overcome sin's sway. We don't have to be controlled by sin. We can stand up to sin, stand, sin sorry, we can stand up to sin by standing firm in Christ. Because Christ has risen from the grave. The tomb is empty. Jesus stands firm on your behalf. That brings us to the second part of the verse. Stand firm, therefore, knowing that Jesus has done what he has done. Knowing that Jesus is doing what he is doing and knowing that Jesus will do what he's promised to do, it enables us, the believer, to stand firm, therefore, in this freedom. I was trying to think of a a good illustration of standing firm. Maybe it's your team's favorite, uh, your favorite team's defense. They stand firm on the goal line, right? They don't let that team go past. But then as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, this is, maybe some of you have never been to the county fair. If you've never been to the county fair, I encourage you to go. Uh, especially go to the, uh, the steer sale or the heifer sale or whatever it is. You have these little FFA and 4-H kids, students that are um, trying to lead this, you know, 2,000 pound animal around a ring. Sometimes that animal decides it's going to stand firm. (laughs) And no matter how much that little one pulls, it's not moving. And, And for me, that was a beautiful picture of just how we should be. 
when sin is, is here and it's tugging, it's going, oh, but this is so much fun. And, oh, this is going to be so good. Or, oh, this is, this is where you need to go. You'll be so much more relaxed if you do this. You'll, you'll have so much um, less anxiety. You'll have, you'll have, you'll have. And we just stand firm. And the pool of, and the pool of sin suddenly isn't so appealing. Suddenly we remember, you know what? I'm not going that way again. I'm going to stay right where I am. Knowing that Jesus has set you free from the power of sin and from the penalty of sin should enable you to stand firm in your day-to-day living. But I don't know about you, but I must be constantly reminded of this. And when I mean constantly, constantly reminded of this over and over and over. I can't do once a week. I can't do twice a week. I have to do moment by moment. Or else I'll let sin just pull me just a little bit and then just a little bit further. What are we standing firm in? We're standing firm in that eternal grace that God has so freely given us. He's just asking us to live a life by relying on Him. By being people who live in the Spirit and not by people who live by the flesh. How do you do it? How do you do it moment by moment? How do you do it breath by breath? When you're bombarded by the temptation of sin, when you're faced with the decision to succumb to sin or to live for Christ. Paul spends this entire letter with this encouragement. Stand firm, therefore. Paul says over and over, you know the truth. You've been taught the truth. Remember the truth. Believe the truth. Live out the truth. You know that sin will easily entangle you. You know that sin wants to lead you back and shackle you down. But sin only has a stained view of reality to offer you. Sin only has a marred view of reality to offer you. Sin says, I have pain for you. I have suffering for you. I have hurt for you. I have misery for you. And if you live for me, I offer you death. But it masks it a little differently, doesn't it? Oh, look how beautiful this is. Oh, look how enthralling this is. Oh, look how how marvelous your life would be if, if, if. The lies of sin paint a beautiful picture, but the truth of sin offers something totally different. Paul says, stand firm in the reality that Jesus Christ has set you free from this misery. Live for him. Live with him. Stand firm in God's eternal grace because it's ever flowing. God's eternal grace is offered to us day after day. His mercies are new every single morning. His spirit-based fruit will bear again and again and again in your life. And each time it will be sweet. 
and it will be soothing, and it will be exactly what you want. His goodness is steadfast. His love is everlasting. We can stand firm in the work of Jesus Christ because it has been accomplished. It has been done on our behalf. The war on sin has been won. Why bow down to a defeated foe? Why give in to a burden that will only weigh you down? Why participate in being a law keeper only to be dissatisfied when you're offered complete freedom, when you're offered eternal flourishing, when you're offered a life of wholeness and completeness, one that is unhindered by sin's disruptive and controlling nature, This is the picture Paul is trying to paint for those in Galatia. Why would you want to go back? So he implores them simply, don't. Don't submit again to this way of life. Don't let this heavy burden encumber you. Don't let let the yoke of slavery be what you live for. Paul is so stern and he's so straightforward because it pains him to see his brothers and his sisters live for something that is so worthless. To live their whole life for something that is so fleeting. When the exact opposite is available. When the exact opposite has been bought with a price. It's like watching your child run down a path that you know leads to danger. It's like watching your child make decisions in life and you just want to scoop them up and say, no, don't go. When they could run down this path that leads to a beautiful sunset, that leads to peace and kindness and goodness. Paul says... Don't submit to the yoke of slavery again. That's the last thing that we're going to look at. Verse 5, we'll call it C. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Three words jump right off the page. Submit, yoke, and slavery. All three of those words we would say we don't like, right? Submitting, having a yoke on you, something heavy, burdensome, slavery. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to admit that those are things that we actually are drawn to. We'd say, no, no, I don't like submitting or I don't like um, having a yoke placed on me. But if you want to be completely honest... And if you want to be completely um, open about who you are and what goes on in here, you run to it every single day. You run to that sin that so easily entangles you and you submit to it freely. You put on the yoke and you say, yeah, but it's easier than just being honest. It's easier than just being faithful to my job today. So I'm just going to be a little bit lazy. 
slavery. You know, instead of being free and doing, I'm just going to do this. At least I won't get hurt. For honest, we cling to these things in an odd sense of security. Paul says, don't do it. Paul says, don't. Remember, why would you cling to these things? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Why would you go back to those? What are you enslaved to today? Maybe you're not into sorcery or drunkenness. Maybe those aren't your top two. But I bet idolatry and strife and jealousy, fits of anger, envy. I bet those hit home. Maybe it's not personal enough. Maybe we should dig next level. Well, if we break down idolatry, it's pretty easy to do, right? What's first in your life? Where's your time and energy and money go? Ouch. Why? Is God first in your life? Every second of every day? What about your schedule? What about your family? What about your list? What about your, your, your? You see, I think our view of sin has been so greatly skewed that we don't even understand what we struggle with. You see, sin is our enemy, not people who sin. Sin is the enemy. Sin is the disease, not the people with sin. So how are you viewing sin? I think most of us view it wrongly. I think we view people wrongly too. We're too quick to be envious. We're too quick to be jealousy, to, to be jealous. We're too quick to have strife with others, to be angry at others. Most of us have this view of sin. Sin is something bad. I don't do it as bad as that person does it. So obviously I'm not enslaved to sin. I don't have a problem with sin. You know, I do, I do sin a couple times a week or maybe three times a day or maybe, you know, there's that one time that I did that one thing, but that person, well, if this is your view of sin, I have some bad news for you this morning. Another way that we look at sin is, well, sin looks really good. Sin looks really appeasing right now. I could just kind of forget what I'm supposed to do. And I know I'm supposed to stand firm with Jesus and I know I'm supposed to live for him, but it would be a lot easier and more comforting if I could just do this. That's not standing firm. That's not remembering that Christ has set you free. You see, sin in the Westminster Confession of Faith says, sin is any want of 
conformity unto or transgression of any law of God given as a rule to the reasonable creature. There's this whole chapter in Romans you should go home and read. Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift... Is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You see, that's the good news. <laughs> Jesus Christ has set you free. That you may have the freedom to abound in the fruit of the Spirit. You can have victory over your fleshly desires. You see, I think having a realistic view of sin and, and where sin is in your relationship to God is essential in you not being enslaved by it. Why are you chained down to something that has no roots? Why are you lying in a garbage heap, wallowing in filth, spraying Febreze on yourself? I mean, that's the picture. It's kind of like being at a middle school camp with a bunch of middle school boys that haven't showered in four days and they decide to break out the axe body spray. Just doesn't work. Sin has got to be stench worthy in our nostrils. Sin has got to be something that we learn to abhor. But also, it's got to be something that we look at as having been defeated. Maybe it's because we don't know Jesus. 
Maybe it's because instead of living with Jesus and for Jesus and resting in the love of Jesus, that we're living for and with ourselves and for the love of ourselves and our things. Maybe the lie of sin has fooled you and the comfortability of sin has caused you to stay close to your sin and not enjoy the freedom that Christ has offered you. I want to encourage you as Paul did. We'll end with this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit and not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Christian, you've been set free. For freedom, Christ has set you free. He set you free to love. So go love people today. Jesus has set you free to have joy. So go revel in joy today. We have the freedom to practice patience with one another. So just pause. Be patient with one another. You're free to be kind. Try doing something kind today. Let goodness and faithfulness be who you are and how you're known in Christ. We are free to say no. And we're free to say yes. The freedom to exercise self-control is yours. There's no law. These are fruit that the Spirit gives us. I encourage you, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Submit your life to Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, the reality that we've been set free It's an amazing, amazing show of grace that you died for us while we were yet sinners. While we were lost with no hope. God, you breathed life into us, giving us new hope. You breathed life into us, saying... I give you my spirit. 
that you may enjoy goodness and kindness, that you may live in peace, that you may have joy in your life. Oh God, these things are what our heart longs for. These are the things that uh, broken sinners long to have. Restored wholeness. A life of flourishing. A life of reveling with our Savior. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.